How the coronavirus could widen the black wealth gap. It is Tuesday, June 16th, and this is Money with Friends. Welcome to the Money with Friends podcast. I am certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, host of the Financial Grown Up podcast, coming to you from upstate New York. And I'm Jamila Souffrant from Journey to Launch, coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. This is the Money News Show that includes commentary on recent headlines and stories with thought leaders from across the financial landscape, like Journey to Launch podcast host Jamila Souffrant. We break those stories down into what matters to you, our friends, and we leave you with a takeaway to make it your own. And this episode of Money with Friends is sponsored by Tiller, your financial life in a spreadsheet automatically updated each day. Go to tillerhq.com forward slash MWF for a free trial and 10% off your first year. And you also support the show. So thank you so much for being here, Jamila. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It was great to like get this whole like experience as the first time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so those of you who listen to the audio podcast, we had some technical glitches before we got on on the air, as they say, and we have an amazing live audience here with us. We do record this on both fa- on Facebook Live or YouTube Live. We haven't mastered doing them together. This episode is being recorded on Facebook Live with an incredible audience. So while we had all of these technical issues, um, they were actually having a great time to talking to Jamila and getting to know her. So um, thank you for that. You saved us. You kept talking while I was running around looking for different audio equipment to uh, try to troubleshoot. So before we get to our story, just tell us a little bit about you and what's going on with Journey to Launch. Yeah, so Journey to Launch, the podcast, the platform, the podcast itself is going upon its three-year anniversary in July. So I'm really excited about that. I was supposed to do a live show, but obviously that's not happening. So <laughs> like a live kind of anniversary show in New York. Oh. Um, yeah, that was like well, my big plan. Like It will happen. This year. It's it will happen. happen. Maybe yes. next year. So, you know, the Journey to Launch podcast is doing really well. We have just or surpassed 1.6 million downloads. You know, um, the audience is growing and the content is resonating. And it's truly because I believe that I really just try to talk in a down to earth way about money. And I share my personal journey to reach financial independence and freedom. But I make sure that I'm also bringing on guests and people who can also share like quality information and stories that can help other people reach those goals, too. And one of the reasons that we selected the story we're about to discuss is because it focuses on real estate. And I don't want to do too much of a spoiler, but you were really um, very bold and a pioneer in buying real estate at a very young age. I related to that when we first met because I also bought at the same age. But we're going to talk a little bit about how it might be different for different people. Um, But first, let's see which one of our story, which one of our friends is going to bring us into the story. This is Tara from Rise Up. Just like hanging out and chatting about the news. That's why I tune in to Money with Friends. All right, Jamila, you're going to start off the headlines. Okay, so I'm going to be reading the article, Coronavirus Could Widen the Black Wealth Gap. This is by Michelle Singletary, and this was in the Washington Post. So I'm just going to read a bit of it. So my grandmother, Big Mama, hated that I was a renter. For one and only for one and only year, I rented in my early 20s. She would endlessly chastise me saying, why are you giving money to the white man? I would roll my eyes and dismiss her question, telling myself she was venting the frustration she had experienced battling discrimination in trying to get a mortgage and becoming a homeowner. In the late 1980s, her words felt too racial and radical. 
I came to learn how naive I was. Big Mama, the great-grandmother of slaves, wanted me to understand that owning land and a home in an economic, is an economic game-changer for Black families. After my apartment lease was up, I purchased a two-bedroom condo, condo. The Black Lives Matter protests taking place across America have focused not just on police brutality, but employment bias, pay disparities, and lack of access to affordable health all issues that have contributed to economic inequality between white and black families. Another key to closing the wealth gap is increasing home ownership for people of color. For too long, systemic racism and racist policies and lending practices have stymied the ability of blacks to increase their net worth. Until 1968, real estate agents and homeowners could legally refuse to show and sell homes to blacks. Banks could reject black borrowers based on their race or their neighborhood where they wanted to live. Anti-discrimination housing polices policies helped increase total black home ownership, which peaked in 2000 at 47.3 percent of black Americans compared with nearly 73 percent for whites. During the housing boom, it looked like black home ownership overall would surpass 50 percent. Then came the Great Recession between 2007 and 2009, exposing predatory lending practices and a glaring reminder that race biases weren't gone. Support journalism. Okay, that was it. Sorry (laughs) about that. Just go forward to um, uh, from 2000. Um. From 2000 to 2015. Oh, yeah. From 2000 to 2015, the black home ownership rate dropped to 41.2%. Black home ownership rates in 2018 was 41.7% compared to 72.2% for whites, according to the American Community Survey. Consider this. It's 2020, and the rate of black home ownership is near the same level as when race-based housing discrimination was legal. So let's just pause there. And as I mentioned, we are recording this live in front of a Facebook Live audience. Um, on my end, seeing those facts is shocking. Maybe it shouldn't be. But r- when I read this, I was it was just so glaring and obviously upsetting to any person, I would think. But what is your reaction? Does this surprise you? You know, it's not surprising. I did a, you know, my... I've done a couple episodes that touch upon this. My life, you know, is a testament to a bit of this about just redlining and all the things that have led up to where we are as a country today and why like this wealth gap exists. And it's not just, you know, like this is the, 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 the housing part of it is like one part, right. But there are other things that le- lead into this. It's income inequality, it's career inequality is this opportunity, which then goes back to education and making sure like even from the start that there's quality education for people of all races. Right. And so this does not surprise me because I saw it growing up in terms of, I grew up in a neighborhood that really at one point, like was like a lot of black people. um, And then it got gentrified. And then the people that lived there couldn't afford to buy. And there's so much research and things that show. So I know some people need to see the numbers for them to be like, oh my gosh, it's real. But I think when you grow up in, in that and you see it impact your family and other people, you're just like, I don't need numbers to tell me that this is real. Like I'm living that life. I know people living that life who have had that experience. And I'm glad you bring up the fact that this is not, it, it is a, absolutely about real estate, but it is also about so many of the factors that tie into that. Because one thing that was also, that stood out to me as well was that 
black the equity that people have in the home, which is basically how much you own and how much the bank owns, tends to be lower with blacks as well, which shows the and that can really come into play one because you don't have as much you don't have as much ownership, obviously, but it can affect their ability to do things like refinance and take advantage of the low rates that are now available. Yeah, it's also the perceived value of housing. And like if the neighborhood is perceived as safe and white and, you know, upper class, obviously, and has more amenities, it's going to be valued more. But even they've shown studies where even if it's like good amenities, but it's predominantly black, like the value is less, like the people see the value as less. So it's not just, you know, um, getting the mortgage, right? Like that's important, but it's also like the perception of value based on where people live. And it shows like, there's also a bunch of studies that show that in the places that were redlined, and even though it was about, it was made illegal in 1968, like this still practices continuing in less overt ways. And those areas that were redlined, like the impact of how many black people live and own in those areas are like such so small compared to, you know, people of other races and white people. What are things you talk about in, so I, I think you make a really good point. You can change the law, but that doesn't mean everyone is not, that, that there aren't ways to discriminate. And we know this with uh, with other groups. There are ways to, 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 excuse me, to discriminate that are not as specifically overtly breaking the law. Can you give us some examples of that? Well, there's also, um, there's like these biases that people have where it's not like, some people are not waking up and saying, oh, I'm just going to, you know, be an idiot today and discriminate against someone because of their color. It's sometimes so ingrained. And this is what we talk about, like systematic and systemic like racism, it's racism is, is that you don't even notice that you have a bias, but you do. And I actually had um, Sean Rochester on my podcast, episode 158, and we talked about the wealth gap and really went down and broke down like the numbers and statistics and biases that black people face. And, you know, there are a bunch of studies that show, you know, like if you submit a resume with a black sounding name versus non-black sounding, how like that same resume, same, you know, that, that the black sounding name gets less callbacks. And so it's, it's almost just like, it's, it's, it's so insidious and for some people, and it's not always on purpose, but it happens and it could just be by your name. It could just be by someone seeing you and then kind of perceiving you as more aggressive or just more combative when, you know, you were doing the same thing as another person that all impacts maybe how they treat you, how they're willing to give you, you know, the, the opening and opportunities that they may give someone else. Very well said. Um, we are taping this live in front of our Facebook audience. So before we take any questions or comments from our Facebook live audience, you guys get ready. Um, I do want to read a little bit more of the piece because it makes some really important points from Michelle Singletary at the Washington Post. Um, it goes on to say, every economic crisis brings a greater threat to people of color that hard-won gains will be lost. And now the severity of the coronavirus pandemic has the potential to further widen racial disparities, according to a new report by Alana McCargo, Vice President for Housing po Finance Policy at the Urban Institute, and Michael Neal, a Senior Research Associate in the Housing Finance Policy Center at the Urban Institute. For this month's Color of Money book club, um, she is recommending, um, maybe we'll put this in the show notes, um, their you read their report titled, How Economic Crises and Sudden Disasters Increase Racial Disparities in Home Ownership. Ownership. The researchers look at the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in 2005 and the Great Recession to draw conclusions of how COVID-19 might exacerbate the wealth gap. Their data analysis finds that natural disasters, economic downturns hit communities of color harder. But households with savings or home equity that they can tap are better able to weather the storms. One important aspect of the report is how home ownership 
benefits blacks and whites differently. McCargo and Neil highlighted in an interview, quote, redlining is still alive and well in markets today. McCargo said, segregated neighborhoods still exist. And if that neighborhood is predominantly black, as you said, you said it's, um, Jamila, it's valued lower. There is still an appraisal bias. And here we go with some stats for people that um, do well understanding by the numbers. The median home value for a black head of household is $155,000 compared to $220,000 for a white head of household, the report states. And then the quote from Mr. Neal, um, there is a white bias in home values accounting for the structural characteristics of a home and neighborhood amenities. The same home in a neighborhood with no blacks is typically worth more than the median home in a predominantly black neighborhood, indicating that it's much more difficult for black homeowners to build up housing equity. Neil said the research also found that the price of homes owned by African-Americans was much more volatile. The huge swings mean their home equity is much more at risk in a scenario of an economic downturn. Another key difference for black homeowners is the ability to access their home equity during an economic crisis. You've done the quote, you've done the work of building up housing equity. You've paid down your debt. Your house is appreciating and a downturn happens. And mortgage lenders tighten lending standards in such a way that it disproportionately hits African-American homeowners. McCargo also pointed out that home equity makes up a disproportionate amount of overall net worth for black households. This becomes a problem if they're unable to refinance to take advantage of lower mortgage interest rates or do a cash-out refinance to access money during an economic crisis. Some people will try to justify the racial disparity in lower homeownership rates by characterizing blacks as more financially irresponsible than whites? This is not an issue of behavior, quote, McCargo said. It is the inequity that is the problem. It's the same issue that resulted in that man holding his knee on George Floyd's neck. It's rooted in a long history of a system that has been working against people of color. And the article goes on to say, my grandmother died shortly after my husband and I built our first single family home. As we surveyed the construction site, Big Mama clasped her hands to her mouth. She didn't cry but her eyes watered. And by the way, I do want to point out that um, the author of this, Michelle Singletary, is hosting an online discussion about the research report at noon Eastern time on June 18th. That's at WashingtonPost.com forward slash discussion. So if you are listening to this on June 16th, the day that this podcast is being released, you can do that on June 18th. It's WashingtonPost.com forward slash discussions. That was a lot. That was a lot. So I'm just going to turn it to you. What do you think? I mean, come on, I can't even. Yeah, so I think, you know, it's always interesting, again, I think for people like myself who this, I, I think it's great that the world is, for some people, finally seeing um, and opening their eyes to what's, like, happening and how, like, specifically for Black people, like, the injustices. But, like, for Black people, like, and, you know, who have been living this, like, this is nothing new to us. So it's great that it's finally getting, like, attention, right? Like, and people are seemingly caring a bit more and we want to find solutions. Like, I, that's great. Like, I'm glad I'm glad that, you know, maybe it took a pandemic for people to be so not consumed with so much other things that they have to pay attention to this now. Um, but again, you know, so, Bobby, you mentioned me, uh, like, my story of real estate. And so just, like, really quickly, I grew up in Brooklyn, was brought, um, you know, I was born in Jamaica, the island, 
raised in Brooklyn and I grew up in an area like Fort Greene, which is like closer to the city. So by the time that like my grandmother who came here with absolutely nothing, she was able to buy it before it was considered like so nice to live. So she got it at an amazing price, her three family house in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, which if you know Brooklyn, like is an amazing buy, but she didn't care about any of that. Anyway, as I started to come of age, I was like, I want to do what my grandmother did. And luckily I had that kind of foresight and drive. So in, while I was still in college, I started looking for homes and things to buy because I wanted to be like my grandmother and own something. Couldn't afford anything because at that time the housing bubble was also kind of taking off. And then luckily there was a new construction in Dumbo, Brooklyn. So that stands for under down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass, which Back then, it was like nothing. There was no, there were no amenities. It wasn't what it is today. But I went in and I, the only thing I could afford in this, you know, wasn't even constructed yet condo. Luxury condo was like a, the smallest studio apartment. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy in this because like I see the vision. Luckily, I did. And so I did that. I put down um, on that unit at 22 years old, right out of college. It took two years for that unit to be built, like the whole high rise. And um, by the time I closed on it, it was worth more than what I went into contract with. And now what more than 12 years later, I still own it. And that um, there's not that many, there's, I don't know. I don't know how many people who look like me own in that building, but Dumbo itself is definitely a place where, you know, I can just, it, it's not diverse in terms of ownership. And so for me, like being able to do that and now having something to pass down to my kids, like to help create this like generational wealth is amazing. And that's the kind of opportunities that I want other people who look like me to have because they might not know it's like possible or that it can be something for them. And I think it's so important because home ownership for a lot of people that that is the pathway to wealth, but you have to be very educated around it so that you don't make um, the wrong decisions and you're, you're, you're able to, to, to really do it in a way that benefits your family, doesn't place more burden on them. First of all, thank you for sharing that. And we have a comment from Claudia here in our Facebook Live audience. Do you want to grab that and, and well, tell, uh, let us know what Claudia had to say. And then so Claudia, that. yeah, Claudia Scott says, thanks a lot. Thanks for bringing this to my attention. Why? I mean, I, I'm just, and, and I'm guilty of this. Why? Because I always thought of us as peers. I never thought that you might have faced different obstacles than me in buying an apartment. It, to me, it was a bond with you. Yeah, we both did the same thing. And we both bought the smallest thing that we could have, you know, it was, it was, it was tiny what I had. And I had to sell it to buy the next thing. Um, you've been able to retain it. But I just thought, oh, she's just like me. But maybe that's not true in that sense. Maybe I had an easier time. Well, and I think it's fascinating that, that you know, for you, you didn't have, you don't, you don't know, like, right. You didn't have to, um, you don't, you didn't, you didn't have to walk in my shoes or grow up the way like I've grown up. And I've been in places in Dumbo, like in my unit, because I moved out um, when I got engaged to my husband, where like people would like look at me like, oh, like, what's she doing here? You know, like kind of thing. And it's not in my head. I know sometimes it's like, are you sure that was what it was? And it's like, yes. <laughs> or, you know, where I want to like, especially with, you know, some people like now where, you know, you see all these videos of people asking like, where's your key card? Do you belong here? Kind of thing. And, you know, I think about my husband who's people black. My kids, no one, no one specifically asked okay. me that, but I've had people, um, ask friends that not necessarily in Dumbo, but just in general, like if they're somewhere like, oh, you know, kind of just like, what are you doing here? And it being that I am black and I have a black husband and black kids, like I, it would be lost on me not to 
be aware of that when we are in areas where we are the minority, which happens a lot in certain instances that, you know, you want people to not assume like the worst of you or assume like I belong here just as much as you. So I think for you, Bobby, and people who've never like walked like and have no clue like what it's been like is that it's important to have these conversations. Um, it's important to acknowledge it because when we talk about privilege, like we're not talking about that you didn't have to go through anything. Does it say that you're not a hard worker, right? And that you didn't deserve, you don't deserve all the things you have in your life. It's more about there are things that you didn't have to consider um, being in a room. Like I often, people like I'm aware of Every time that like I, especially when I worked in corporate America before I quit my job, like I'd be like the only black woman in the room. I noticed that probably no one else in the room ever really picked that up because they were just them. And so I had to navigate. And I think this helps me a bit with how I relate to people now is like I had to navigate and learn how to to walk in the world and and, and adapt to succeed the way I have. Um, quite honestly, and a lot of black people have to do that. It's called code switching. It's and I think Wait, for code switching. What so, so it's the way you relate or talk differently in front of different people. So I am not a completely different person around my friends, but I talk differently when I'm talking to my black friends versus when I am maybe talking to you, honestly. Um, so I think, again, some people don't have to think about that, but it, it comes to the fact that for as long as we've been in this country, like um, as, and, you know, even though I was immigrated here, we all, for the most part, were brought as slaves over to wherever we landed. And if you wanted to survive, um, you had to assimilate and you had to be looked at as not threatening. And I think a lot of times, like we have adjusted as black people to be able to do that in these spaces where some of it is just like, you know, you do it because you should, you know, it's a corporate setting and you do it. But some of it is also like repression of who we are. And I think at this point with everything going on now, it's like people have had enough like, and they're tired of being judged based on that. And so I am glad that all of this is coming to light. And for some people, it's so uncomfortable. It's like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is so heavy. And when you first hear it, it's almost like ripping off the bandaid and that hurts. It's like, I didn't know you had that experience or was going through that. But I think it's necessary for people to see like the truth of it and to hear it um, from, you know, people who, who can share those experiences. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Before we get to our takeaways, we're going to just take a beat and thank our sponsor. My, um, for this episode, it is Tiller. You can manage your money a lot faster, which is important for all of us to know what's going on wherever we are in life. Um, the only service Tiller is, I should say, that connects your banks to Google Sheets and Excel with your daily spending, transactions, and balances. Unlike financial apps that force you to compromise, these spreadsheets that Tiller has are totally customizable, so you can do whatever works for your needs. Tiller makes them even better because there's daily feeds of your spending, balances, and transactions, so you don't have to enter the data multiple times. You just connect your banks once. You see your transactions automatically updated each day. Basically, set it up once, and you can forget it. Go to tillerhq.com forward slash MWF for more info, a free trial, and 10% off your first year, and also you will, of course, support the show. Um, <laughs> we're getting, by the way, we, we have, we record this in front of a Facebook live audience. So we're getting lots of uh, Jamila fans here. And so on that note, let me have you, you go first with your takeaway. Cause I know you have more insights to share with us that we truly appreciate. Yeah. So I'd say this, like it took years and years. This is not like a, like a one year fix. 
right? Um, it took years and generations and decades for us to be where we are as a country. So there's not going to be like just a one-time fix that's going to help this. I think this is just to start these conversations and policies like need to um, be enacted and diversity. And, you know, there's a difference between diversity and inclusion. So I love this analogy. Diversity is, in, is inviting, you know, like me to the dance, like say, okay, I checked off the box. Like I invited a black person here, but inclusion is actually asking that person to dance. So, and I think that needs to happen in all areas. And so whether that, you know, is the policymakers and government and in corporations where you're making the decisions on like, you know, at corporate culture. And so you can help inform the mortgage broker who's giving out the loans, like to be aware and anti-racist and all these things like there's so much um, work to be done there. But I think the start is the conversation. And again, it's not going to be fixed. And I think, you know, today, but there are things that we can start working on. Um, and I think conversations like that helped. And, and I think it starts from education and all the way up because part of it is understanding, um, you know, home ownership at the end of the day, like we, it, it, it's all going to stem into education and resources. And so if we want to improve that for black people and, and people of color, right, then you need to then be uh, able to give them more resources, educate um, better positions, um, leadership positions, and, and have the income gap also be closed so that they can afford the living in areas that they maybe their parents and grandparents grew up in or just were able to only work in. Very well said. Um, I think that it's, such an important, there's so many important points you just made. And I, I, especially what resonates with me from what you just said is the difference between diversity, excuse me, diversity and inclusion, because, you know, you think, you know, the difference, but when I, when I hear the way you described it, it makes you that much more cognizant of it. And by the way, on that note, I do want to put in a comment, even though we're already in our takeaways from Tiffany, because it also resonates with what we've been talking about. And as white people, we have to sort of look in the mirror at ourselves and understand what we didn't ask. You know, we didn't see because we didn't ask. And Tiffany says, quote, it's difficult to hear and to face my own ignorance on the matter. Thank you for sharing your experiences. So doing, making a big difference, Jamila, we thank you. Let me give you my official takeaway. Um, I wanted to thank Michelle Singletary for writing this piece. Facts speak, um, as we said earlier, um, just like video speaks. We need to expand the widespread exposure of the actual facts of what actually happens. And so I encourage everyone to listen, learn, ask questions. And when things aren't adding up, what are we missing? Jamila points to broader issues. Um, for example, that go beyond just real estate and that we should all be proactive, not just listen, but be proactive in putting specific solutions into, um, into our world. Hopefully that was, that said it. Okay. Um, and one more, we'll do just one more quick comment. Cause we have such an amazing audience here. Um, you want to grab that one? Yeah, sure. So Claudia says, I work for a major corporation and the buzzword of the year is diversity and inclusion. Love the way you describe it much better. Um, and it cuts off, but yeah. Oh, then I, corporate speak, sorry. It's on the side yeah. there. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, but okay, so so uh, we do, we're running out of time. We need to wrap up, but I want Jamila to first tell us um, a couple things going on on your podcast. You did a black tax episode. Yeah, so here's the thing. I did this black tax episode back in February um, and it was so moving. I think it's something everyone needs to hear, whether you're black or white. 
this is an episode you need to hear. So I republished it um, uh, a couple weeks ago. So it's episode 158. And if you really want to understand how we got here, after, why after 400 years, Black people only earn 2% of wealth um, or own 2% of wealth in this country, and you just want to understand the biases and what we're talking about and dig deeper, check out that episode, um, journeytolaunch.com slash episode 158. And, you know, the podcast, you, if you're listening to this, you can find Journey to Launch wherever you listen. I, you know, inclusion and diversity is just part of who I am because I learn from everyone. I can connect with anyone. But um, so I, I base that's how my podcast is. It's always been that way. And so I'm pretty proud of that. I always stayed true to that. So if you want more um, diverse and inclusive content around money and financial independence, check out the podcast at journeytolaunch.com. And new listeners can get a free jumpstart guide at journeytolaunch.com forward slash jumpstart. Or you can text her at 33777. The text number is 33777. Thank you so much. You're going to be back with us tomorrow. We're going to be talking about um, an industry that you often buy things without knowing the prices. So that that's my teaser. Uh, so come back with us for uh, Wednesday's episode. Jamila will be back. And uh, Learn more about the show, I should say. I forgot to do my little tags. Learn more about the, more about the show and Jamila on moneywithfriendspodcast.com. On behalf of Jamila Soufran, I'm Bobby Rebel. Have a great day, everyone. This show's created and hosted by us, Joe Salcihai and Bobby Rebel, and it's edited and produced by Ashley Wall. Money with Friends is a product of Money with Friends LLC, copyright 2020. For a list of the thought leaders who appear on the podcast and links to the stories discussed, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at moneyfriendspod on both Instagram and Twitter. Look out for our polls and quizzes. You could get a shout out on the show. We're well worth following. We promise. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other videos or podcasts without first talking to your financial advisor. These people on this episode, they're here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Bobby. I'm Joe. We'll see you here back next time with another episode of Money with Friends. Bam, nailed it.